The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Okay, guys, we're going to get started. Thanks for coming. Welcome. Uh, This class is on building generations, and you may be thinking, what are we going to talk about? Well, let's talk about it, all right? Uh, We're going to talk building. Let's talk about building, Uh, and we're going to talk about bridging. And so the definition of a bridge is a structure built to span a physical obstacle. So the arch bridge, which originated in Rome, is able to bear tremendous weight, but it must be built from both sides, So when it comes to building generations, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about connecting the different generations of the church. And uh, I think because of age, there can be gaps. And I speak from experience because I'm a child of the 60s. uh, And I see a couple of people that remember the 60s, I probably. Probably some of you do not. But uh, there was a big term back in the 60s uh, when I was a teenager that you heard pretty much every night on the news. And it was a term, there's a generation gap in America. And there was a big-time disconnect that was growing, and Jim, you probably remember this, between the generations. And I'm the generation that was the young guys. And we were, this was the days of the hippie movement and a a lot of uh, uh, dissension and rebellion because of the Vietnam War with my generation, that didn't understand that, didn't didn't know why we were doing that. And so there was a great big disconnect of, between the generations, and it was causing a lot of trouble in America. And uh, the big divide really weakened our country. And so uh, really the thing that, that turned us around, because I was kind of a pseudo-hippie, okay? And, and here's a pseudo-hippie. I had long hair. I played in a rock band. But uh, I, a full-fledged hippie didn't take baths, and they lived in a commune. And I drew the line on that. I didn't want to do that. So, uh, but <laughs> but uh, the thing that, that brought us a lot of freedom was when we got saved, and we met Jesus. And there was a move of God back in those days called the, the Jesus Movement that really affected us. A lot of young people got saved. They filled the Holy Spirit. And uh, then the, uh, the charismatic renewal when a lot of denominational people began to be uh, hear about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, a lot of Catholics were getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and there was a move of God back in those days. So I think we need to pray for a move of God in our day. You know, we, our pastor's been talking about that. And for sure, that's going to bridge a lot of things that are going on. But uh, uh, we need to purposely and intentionally Understand we need to connect the generations, whatever age we are. And our church has a vision for this. And, and here's what we want to do. We want to minister to, to and honor all people, no matter the ethnic group, no matter the age group. Because we believe that every age is important and is critical to the church. So we're going to talk about it tonight. And really, this is the heart of our pastors. And here's what they say. They say, in our church, we want there to be fathers, brothers, and sons sons we want there to be mothers sisters and daughters and these relationships should be a part of every believer in the church not just the old people you know understanding the young people but everybody connecting right and so uh is there a bible pattern for this because we're bible 
preachers, right? And we're Bible people, and we believe in, in the foundation of anything we do being in the Word of God. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, some of you may remember last summer I preached and I talked about some of this, and, uh, and this is what we kind of based everything on. This is kind of our foundation for... Um, for what we're going to be talking about tonight. Acts chapter 2, verse 15. And this is when the church was born. This is the day of the church beginning. Uh, Jesus has uh, commissioned his disciples now. These 11 apostles, there were 12 and they lost one. But Jesus has commissioned them to now take this gospel to the world. But he says, don't do anything until you go to Jerusalem, for you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So these men were saved, but they haven't been, been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. And Jesus declared that when you are, the power of God's going to come on you to do the work. How many are glad that we are not doing this alone? We are to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here's what happened. Verse 15, Peter gets up. The Holy Spirit's poured out. There's a lot of misunderstanding. Some people are saying, these people are, are drunk with new wine. What's going on here? And so Peter says, no, no, no. He began to, to give, I believe God anointed, anointed him for the first Bible gospel message. And he begins to preach on this in verse 15. He says, these people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel in the last days. And he quotes Joel. He got his text for this message from Joel. He got a revelation, I believe. <clears throat> in the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out of my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. So there's a lot here, but here's what, what I want to point out tonight and talk about. There are three different age groups mentioned. So Peter gives preaches on Joel, and, and God wanted us to understand from the very beginning, this is not for a select group. This is not even for just, you know, one age group. This is for every age group. And it's broken down here. It's for sons and daughters, or it's for children. God wants to touch the lives of little kids. And now understand this, though, about kids. They are in training. They're not going to be the ones to, to carry this out and cause it to come to pass, right? They're not the ones to carry the gospel. Someday they will be, but our job is to train them. So they're in training right now. Number two is old men. And this, uh, I studied this out in the original text just this week, and I discovered that this term old men in the Greek actually means men and women. So it's not exclusive to men. And all the women said, all right. And this also for young men. Also, once again, in the original text, this means men and women. So God is making a statement at the very outset about the importance of the body of Christ being for every age group. Isn't that good news? It's for every age group. And uh, so here's my statement. God wants the church to be multi-generational. And here's what that means. All generations present. Every age group from newborn to 90 plus or whenever you die and go home to be with the Lord, if there's a few people in the hundreds now, but if you're saved, you're still a member of the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So this is talking to you. But not only do we want to be multi-generational, but here's a new term, write this down. We want to be cross-generational. 
cross-generational. And here's what that means. And this is what we're looking for. When different age groups get out of their comfort zone to connect with other generations. So let me say that again because you, you should write this down. Cross-generational means when different age groups get out of their comfort zone to connect with other generations. For example, um, a church that's multi-generational is when the children, the youth, the adults, and the, senior, and the seniors are all sitting together in a service, but they're, and they're worshiping and, and participating in worship together. But cross-generational is when the same people are sharing, working together, and learning from each other. The church is supposed to be the family of God. In our time, there is nothing attacked by Satan like the structure of the family. We have to understand the times if we are going to be able to minister to people properly. There's a scripture in, in uh, 1 Chronicles 12:32. It says, The sons of Issachar had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Their chiefs or their leaders were 200, and all of their brethren were at their command. So there's this tribe called Issachar, and part of their job, there was 200 of them, and they, they, all they did was study the Torah or the Bible. And they studied that so that they could keep a pulse on the, on the word of God and keep the country and the nation politically, mater, uh, militarily, and in every way under the, the covering of the word of God. But they had an understanding of the times, and I think we have to do that today. Through the Word of God, we have to look at our times and understand what's needed right now. And one of the things that's needed right now, more in the church than any other time I've seen in my lifetime, is there is so much of the breakdown of the family that the church has got to be a family. We've got to minister to each other as a family. Uh, for instance, post-World War II, at the height of the baby boom, there was one dominant family form. That's around 19, up until 1960. 73% of all children were living in a family with two parents in their first marriage, 1960. 73%. By 1980, it had dropped to 61%, and present day, it's 46% and declining. In our church, we have many people that have been through divorces, they've been through uh, they've got blended families. They need a family. We all need each other. We need families today. Our moms, we need to be moms and dads to people. We need to be brothers and si we need to be sisters to people. We need to be mothers to people. We need to have an, a, an attitude for our church that we're not just going to come here together and be together, but we're going to be a family and minister to each other the best way we know how. So that's what we're, we're going to be talking about today is how can we do that? How can we be cross-generational? What's the attitude for being cross-generational? And what can we all do as a church to look at our times? You know, in, in, in the time that we were living in, um, when we were growing up, uh, it was totally different than today. We had, uh, in our classrooms, it, the teachers read the Bible to us. In public school. And we prayed every day. But see, we're not in that today. And so it really is the responsibility of the church to fill in the gap today for what this world needs. And we can do it. But the attitude of our heart is we're going to make our church is going to be a family church. And we're going to minister to everybody and find a way. Our gift will make room for us and help us to fill in the gaps for all these people in our church and be the family that they need. So here's our point of our class. We, we want to talk about how we can build a 
bridge, how you can build a bridge in your generation to different generations and yours for better connection. All right? So back to the Acts 2 church. Uh, one of the words that keeps sticking out there is this word servant. And, and I think that is, is the key thing. That's the attitude we need to have if we're going to find uh, not only our place in the local church, because we all have a place, right? Every one of us. But also to connect with other people and even help them find their place. This word servant in the Strong's, uh, Greek Strong's definition of this is one who gives himself up to another's will. Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men and women. And that should be our heart in this whole thing. Uh, you know, I'm reading a book right now that I would highly recommend if you want to write this down. It's really good. It's called Created to Draw Near. And it's, uh, the subtitle is Our Life as Priests by a man named Edward T. Welch. And he made this statement that I, I want to quote him. That I read this just the other day, and I just thought, that is, I, I don't think I've ever really thought about it just like that. So listen to this. At the Passover meal with his disciples, Jesus became a servant who washed their feet. It turns out that a requirement for being close to him is that you let him serve you. Isn't that a cool thought? That, nearly mind-blowing, but that's the heart of Jesus. And to understand him and, and be what we're supposed to be, we have to understand that he served us first. Jesus, this, this is the son of God, served us. He washed his disciples' feet. But that's his attitude toward us today. He's a foot washer. He was both a servant and a host. And I got to tell you, I've been in the ministry a long time. And that attitude in, in ministry has not always been what it should have been I'll just be honest with you but that should be what we're called to do to build generations with our service and I want to go back to what we were talking about a minute ago if you're going to bridge generations you must understand where we are in time uh, there's a scripture in Job and uh, I, I think this is very interesting Job 33 28 through 30 it says God, God redeemed me from going into the pit and now my life sees light God will accomplish all these things twice, even three times with a man to bring back from the pit so that he can enjoy the light of the living. And now you're saying, what in the world are you talking about? Well, in this scripture, it's talking about, in, in one translation, it says, he'll visit you oftentimes. And as I meditated on this, I thought, in the time of your life, you have really kind of three parts of it. You have when you're young, when you're middle-aged, and when you're older. And I think at every point in your life, God is there to visit you and say, this is what I want you to do now. You know, in our life, it's been all kinds of things. You know, we started out uh, in ministry when we were pretty young, and we were under tutors and under a lot of people that mentored us and taught us things. And then we went through a period where we were on our own and doing our own ministry. And now we're in a, in, in a cross-generational time where we're moving from where we were to another place in our ministry. And in order to do that, you have to make adjustments. And I'm going to tell a story here because it'll help you to understand what I'm talking about. About 10 years, probably 10 years ago, uh, Pastor Josh and Sarah had only been married a couple of years. And Ken and I were, we've been, we, had, we have been in a ministry for the last 20 years where we were in... 2005? Yeah, it's 2000. So that's, that's well, I'm sorry. 17 years, 17 years ago. Okay. 
So, uh, for the last 20 years, we've had a field ministry. We've been on the road. We teach, we teach seminars, parenting, family seminars. But during that period of time, God began to deal with us and show us things in the future. And we'd, you know, we'd preach and we'd think, are we supposed to start a church? Are we supposed to pastor? You know, you go through a lot of things because God's progressive. And it seemed like every time that we'd do that, the door would be shut and we'd think, no, we're not supposed to pastor. We're supposed to be out here in the field. So about 2005, I was sitting in a service in, I think, Connecticut somewhere, I think. And uh, as I was sitting in the service, all of a sudden, I had kind of like a mini vision. And it's what you would call in the word a word of wisdom. If you know anything about the gifts of the Spirit, it means that you, you get a word about the future for the purposes of God. So I see this vision, and I see my son Josh, and I see this huge ship. And the ship looks like one of those pirate ships, you know, from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Big old ship. And he's at the front of the ship. And uh, all I remember is he's at the front of the ship and, and he's, we're sailing this ship and it's about to go into this storm. And it was the most dark storm I have ever seen. I mean, the waves were rolling, rolling and rolling and rolling. And the sky was black, and it was very, very dangerous-looking storm. And he's at the front of the ship, and he has his leg out like this, but kind of like George Washington crossing the Delaware. I remember it. And uh, because he's steadying himself. You know, if you've been on a boat, you get sea legs, you have to kind of... But I remember watching him, and he's at the front of the ship, and right out in front of him, in all of this darkness, was this huge ball of light. And he had his eyes fixed on the light, and there wasn't an ounce of fear on his face. And he watched that light. And it's like he was, he was at the head of the ship, but back at the back of the ship were a lot of people. And we were back there too. And I remember Pastor Ken was at the steering wheel. He wasn't steering it. He was getting coordinates from him as to where we were going. And he was helping to steer where he was saying to go. And in that moment, I realized he's going to be the pastor of the church. But the cool thing about it was he, he kept his eyes on that light and he followed that light and took that ship right safe through the storm all the way to the other side. Yeah. Now looking back, yeah. that's 2005. You look at what we just have been sailing through in this time is one of the darkest times I've ever seen. Yeah. And I thought how glorious it was that God was able to show us this is where you're going. This is where I want you to be. I want you helping him. I want you to, because there's something coming that's big and good, and it's going to go through some storms. And think about it, all that we went through, COVID, all the stuff that our country has gone through in the last year, churches shutting down, all the things that could have destroyed the church, and yet way back there, God was already preparing us for what was ahead. Because the word says he knows the end from the beginning. See, God's ahead of us in time. And when we listen to him and trust in him, he'll say, you don't understand all this right now, but this is what's coming. I'm going to take care of it. You know, the warnings of the Holy Spirit are both uh, fearing God, but yet it's, it's going to be all right because I'll show you what to do. So, my point in all that is, is that sometimes as we get older, we've done something for a long time we don't understand, but he's preparing us for, for another step, for another chapter, and another adventure in our life that's just as good and just as wonderful. 
So in bridging generations, you know, we're all here in this room, all different ages, but there's still things that God has in our hearts that we can do to bless each other to make sure we get through the storm that we're sailing through and get safely to the other side. So, Okay, that's good. So uh, make a statement here. The devil has always worked to separate the generations. Now, there's a story in, uh, in the book of Exodus. The children of Israel, uh, Moses has come. He's, uh, God's going to deliver them. And uh, so they've gone through these systematic plagues. And now we're at about plague, I think, number seven. And uh, we've had seven. We're going into eight. And so uh, Pharaoh's, uh, he's breaking down. His resistance is breaking down. And so he has Moses and Aaron come before him, and he said, okay, you want me to let these people go. You want me to let you go into the wilderness and worship God, right? And Moses says, that's right. In fact, verse, uh, Exodus chapter 10, verse 9. In fact, verse 8, actually, if you want to turn there, mark this in your, in your notes. It says, so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will go? He wants to know who's going to go. And Moses replies, we're all going to go. Our young and our old, our sons and daughters, our flocks and herds, we must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, the Lord will certainly need to be with you if, I, if you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never, only the men may go and worship the Lord since that is what you requested. And he threw them out of the palace. Now, Pharaoh, here's what he wanted to do. He was shrewd in this thinking. He didn't want him to take the kids, and he didn't want him to take. He didn't want him to take the older people. He said, "Okay, I'll let you take the men. The men represented the people, or the men from twenty to forty, which was, which was the 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 workforce, the heart, the strength of the country at that time." But here's Pharaoh's thinking. He said, "If I just let the men go, they're going to go in the wilderness. They won't have the women." And so they won't reproduce. They'll die out there. And they'll also die because they won't have, he wanted to cut off the the older men, which represented the wisdom and the past. And also the young people, which represented the future. So he knew he would cut them off. And that was his thinking. And the enemy still works that way today. He wants to cut off. He wants to separate the generations. And so... uh, we have to understand that we have to uh, strategically and purposely connect, right? Ephesians 4.16, every part of the body is important. Let's read about this. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, the body of Christ, if you're a Christian, you're in the body of Christ, right? Now, in your body, I don't, I don't know, we can't liken that you've got old parts and young parts in your body, but yet, whatever age you are, you still are a part of the body if you're living and breathing, right? Whether you're young, Scripture says, let no man despise your youth. You're the part of the body. Uh, whether you're old or middle-aged. So every part is important. So we, every age group needs to recognize and honor the other age groups to do what we're called to do. Does that make sense? So let's break down the age groups. Let's talk about each of these age groups we talked about. First of all, sons and daughters will prophesy. It says sons and daughters will prophesy. Wow. This is talking about our children and our students or our teenagers. 
this is the group that is in training right now, right? And they are in training. And here's what they'll do. said so they'll prophesy. What will they prophesy? They'll prophesy what us as the older people teach them. That's what they'll prophesy. They'll, it, they'll declare back to us when we put the things of God in them. As, of course, this is as parents, but also as the church. Uh, and this is one of the most overlooked people in the, groups of people in the church, in my experience. You know, Jesus had so much to say about children. Uh, he said children can receive the kingdom. He made that very clear, which means little kids can be saved and receive Jesus. And we believe that, New Song Church. He said uh, children can be, he believes children can be Because he says that in the beginning, your, uh, your, your children will prophesy. And then at the end of Acts 2, verse 38, he says this promise is, what promise? The promise of, of Jesus coming into your heart, uh, then you being baptized in the Holy Spirit. He said this is promise is unto you and to your children. And that's not just when the children grow up. This is when... They're children. They can receive the power of God. They can worship and connect with Jesus. Uh, uh, Jesus, were, uh, our little children were worshiping Jesus one day in the temple. And it really got the Pharisees upset. And they came to Jesus. And he was healing people and doing great miracles. Remember when he drove the money changers out? And the Pharisees came and said, do you hear what these children are saying? That tells me something. The devil gets upset when little children begin to worship Jesus. Because if they do that, they're going to learn to connect with him. Because they will. And so they can do all these things. He wants, Jesus wants to get into a life of people when they are young because that's the time they're most impressionable. And the best time to learn the Word of God is when you are young because that's the time that your brain is at, at the top. Uh, I want to give you some information about a child's brain. By the age of 10... A, a child gets 95% of their brain function, 95% by the age of 10. Think about that. But you think about what they learn when they're little. You know, when they're, when they're a little preschooler, they learn, they've learned a language, uh, all their motor skills, everything. So uh, they, they get 95% of their brain developed. But, but then the next 5% develops slowly up until the age of about 20, 21, 22 years old. And that is the part that is able to assess risk and make executive decisions. And that's why teenagers do crazy things. And you then they do, and you catch them, and they, you say, why did you do that? And they go, I don't know. They don't. They don't have a brain yet, okay? I remember when our daughter was a teenager, and one night, help me out with this. I didn't put this in my notes. One night we get, did we get a call? Yes. That yes. It, I know what you're talking about. Was it the cops that called us? No, it was her. It was, it was her. And what had happened is they were, they were going to a school and there was a whole group of them. And they went to the school. It was after hours. And the school was a church. School was a church. School was a church. So they went to the back of the church and it, uh, and so that just so happened that there were some teenagers that had been burglarizing things, right? At the, At the front of the church. That's right. The front of the church got burglarized. So the cops come around, and they come around the back, and there's Brooke with all these kids, and they're just back there. They, they shouldn't have been there. No. They're just do, being stupid, you know? And so we, but we get a call, Mom, the cops are here. And what did, what did, what well, we, we didn't know she was going to jail or what. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, and then there was a time that our teenage son 
whose name was Josh. We got a call and he had uh, he had uh, uh, gotten a girl on the front of his car. He's sitting in the session back there. I guess I can go ahead and tell this. Uh, and I get this call at night. I was at church and uh, no, no, we were in California. He said, uh, uh, Pastor Ken, Josh had a girl on the front of his car and he, she was on the hood and he turned the corner and slammed on the brakes and threw her off. And so we're at the hospital, we're at the emergency room and this little girl's going to be okay. And, uh, you know, and so you want to comment on this? <laughs> we were in California, we were on vacation. We've been in a movie. I remember that now. Yeah, it all comes back to me. But, uh, and you go, why did you do this? I don't know. Well, they're teenagers. So uh, teenagers don't believe they can die. They do crazy things, right? So they're in training. and They don't have all their brain. So our job, as first of all, as parents, we're the first line of defense. Listen, we teach the Word of God in this church, and, and we... I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute, all that we do, but yet we're not the primary disciples of your children. That's parents' job, right? And we're here to help you. We want to assist you, and we want to do the best we can to get into their world. And, and then when they come here, we're going to protect them. We're going to make sure we have security protecting these classrooms. And you notice we've got a uh, cop out here with a uniform. And uh, I dare say we're not going to have a shooting in this church. If that tries to come up, I think it's probably going to be taken care of, right? And besides all that, we believe God. But I said all that to say this. It's the, the parents are the primary disciple of their children. Uh, you know, at New Song, we don't have child care, although we do care for your children. But we have ministry. We minister to him. This is the roots of Pastor Josh and Sarah's ministry. They do this because Pastor Josh was a children's pastor, and he had a heart for this. And he sees the importance of what I'm talking about tonight. Uh, and, and some of that they learned from us because my ministry was children's ministry. I was uh, uh, oversaw and, and wrote the curriculum in the early days of our church because I, I've, I've done this uh, on a national scale. I was Nicodemus on the Gospel Bill show. Some of you shaking your head. Some of you don't know about that. That was a kids TV show back in the 80s. And I was honored to be a part of that. Uh, so what I'm saying is this church strong. You'll hear about this all the time. Pastor Josh talks about it. We have a vision for reaching these little kids. They're not the church of tomorrow. They're the church of today. And we believe in them. Uh, so but we want to encourage parents to connect spiritually with their children. Uh, so we have our vision for New Song Kids is we want them to have fun and to know God. That's all underscored by our commitment to keep them safe. And, uh, and you know what? We need people to help us do this. Mm -hmm. This is facilitated by our wonderful staff of great volunteers. Uh, so everybody won't be in children's ministry, but we can all be aware of the vision for this and be a part of it. And here's what you can do about it if you don't work in kids' ministry. You can pray for the children of our church. Yes. Uh, I, I would like to ask you to come back here and encourage your teachers. You know, just walk back here in the children's ministry and walk around and stick your head in and say, man, thank you for doing what you're doing. We really appreciate you because they're kind of back here in another part of the church, you know, and they're not all seen. And to feel appreciated is a big deal. Encourage you to do that. And uh, maybe if God speaks to you, maybe you can work back here if, that, if the Lord talks to you about doing that. So uh, I'm talking about this so we can have a strong vision in our church for children's ministry. And understand that that's for everybody, not just for the kids' workers. All right. So that's little kids. Number two is young men. Mm 
young men will dream, will see visions. Young men will see visions. In the original text, once again, this means men and women. To see a vision means you have a revelation. You have a revelation. It's not just dreaming about, uh, dreaming something up to do. But when we're talking about ministry, we're talking about having a vision to see what God wants you to do. It's a God-ordained vision. That's what's important. Because there's a lot of, you know, you can get a lot of really good business teaching on vision, and you got to have a vision. All that's true. And I don't, I don't demean any of that. But when I'm talking about vision, I'm talking about young men in the church, young leaders will see visions to carry out the plan of God. Uh, and a Christian, here's a Christian's vision, and this should be at the front of everything that we do, at the top of your vision. And that is, how can my life benefit the kingdom of God? What does God want me to do to advance his kingdom? Uh, so young men and women see, vi see visions. And I think seeing a vision, I think this is a thing that happens when you're in the ages from 20 to 50. You're running with your vision. And these are the years that you establish your vision. These are the years that you do, uh, it's 20 to 50, primarily the, your work time in life is from 20 to 50. Uh, and I, I take this from in the priesthood in, in Israel. Uh, the priests, at the age of 50, they made a change. And you think about a priest in the priesthood, you were really working in a butcher shop because you were killing animals. A big part of what you did was every day you slaughtered animals. You were killing bulls and you were cutting them up. And that's a lot of hard work, right? You were catching the blood and, and you were you know, cutting the meat up. So there, a lot of a priest's work was a physical thing. So when you were 50, if you had been faithful, you changed from being a uh, working priest to a teaching priest. And you trained uh, others about what you had learned. And so it, it takes a vision to get the job done. Without a vision, the Bible says, people perish. I don't have the reference for this, but people perish, it says in the King James. But actually that means the people run wild. So it takes a vision. Uh, churches need a vision. And, and God gives different leaders different visions. There's not just one vision for the whole church, right? It takes different visions to get things done in, in different communities. Uh, Trudy and I learned we, we lived in Tulsa for 30, uh, 32 years before we moved to Oklahoma City. And uh, we've been Texas, it, Texans for a long time. We finally got the Texan. We, we cast that demon out of us. We're really Okies now. Took a long time. That thing's strong, strong, principality. But we really are. We really. I mean, I root for Oklahoma with my heart, and uh, <laughs> it took a while. But but when we moved, this is interesting. We were in Tulsa, and there's a cities have spirits, mm -hmm. and we moved here, and you know we couldn't put our finger on it, but it was different. Mm -hmm. It was different. There's different uh, different needs for different cities. Uh, you know, we live in Oklahoma, and this, in my estimation, is a great state to live in, really, for this time. I love Oklahoma. It's interesting, too, that our, our, our this is the city, this, this city is like a crossroads city, like no other city in America. I think that's interesting, that we have a church here, because, you know, I-35 is a, a north-south corridor for the nation, and then I-40 is an east-west corridor for the nation. It's interesting the way this works. And we're like in the smack dab middle. So no telling how God's going to use it. But it was different different uh, spirits we would sense. We sense that from time to time. You want to say anything about that? Um, 
Yeah, I think you you have to do. That's what you have to do when you come to a city. You have to be sensitive to the spirit. I know one of the things that uh, we were made aware aware of by some ministers that came from Gateway Church down to our church once. Uh, they said as they entered the city, they understood that there was a spirit of suicide and divorce in this city. Well, see, God will reveal things like that to you so you can begin to pray and take authority over that and know what where to get your battle array on for. And one of the things that is suffering right now all over the place is marriages. And you can see why, because the mar marriages are a very important part of the foundation of the church. Stable marriages make stable families, which make stable churches. So uh, I, you have to be sensitive in our prayer life in this city. As, and especially, you know, as we're talking about bridging generations, one of the things I know well about a lot of people our age, and you guys in this room, is uh, you've had a whole lot of years to know how to pray and a whole lot of years to learn how to pray. And, and I think one of, one of the things I'm doing in my life right now more than I ever have because I'm not on the road as much and I'm not doing what I used to do is I spend a lot of time in prayer. And uh, I remember a, 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 an intercessor that I learned under once from Tulsa said it's very hard to carry both, both mantles to be a, a prayer warrior plus have a, a, a ministry at the same time a public ministry, because it takes a lot of strength. You know, if you really know how to pray, it, it, it takes a lot of spiritual strength out of you when you do it. And so one of the things I think we can do as the older generation, too, is if you got time, you got probably more time than some do, because you're not raising little kids anymore, and you're not doing, you don't have the responsibilities you have to have, that you used to have, is to just pray. Pray for this church. You know, that's a big... Uh, a big thing we're, we're uh, feeling like that we need to do in our church right now. And uh, so think about that. And if you don't know how to pray, you can find all kinds of books. One of the best books I ever learned to pray with, if you're young and you want to learn how to pray, is a, a book called Prayers That Avail Much. And some of you know what it is. If you want to learn how to pray the Word of God, that is one of the best tools you can get because it just go, it t gives you a subject and there's just one scripture right after another and you can begin to learn how to pray the Word of God over things. So be a prayer. All of us, all ages need to do that. But I think as, as I've gotten older, I've seen the, 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 uh, the increase in my life of just praying, praying for this church, praying for the kids, praying for the young men and women that are in the church right now. So, so uh, young time, when you're young, is the time to find your, your personal vision. And I'll just say this. If you think, well, what, I don't know what my vision is, Pastor Ken. Really, we're talking about church vision. And, but if you have a blurry vision, find somebody that has an active vision and help them. And that's what a church is all about. Uh, you're, you're tapping into the vision of the leadership to fulfill your purpose in the body of Christ. When I was a young preacher, I knew I was called. I was, uh, I was leading worship in a little church out in Texas, and, uh, but I didn't know exactly what to do. And so I met a guy, and uh, it's a long, long story, but I joined him. In fact, the Lord spoke to me, but it was in my heart to join him because he had an active vision going somewhere that I thought, I can hook up with this. And as I did that, I began to find what my part was in that vision. And that's the way God works. You begin to 
hook up with somebody else's vision, and this is for everybody in the church, then God will show you what your part in the body, it'll refine you to help you find it. Because, you know, the, the pastor and even the, all the pastors, it's not our job to find what you're called to do. I don't say that mean, but that's your job to find it and seek it, and the Lord will lead you to it. You know, some people, I walk back here, it's really cool, and there's some people that were made to work in the nursery. And I go and look at them, and they're smiling. Our, our, our one-year-old director, uh, oh, goodness, David and what's her name? I'm sorry. She is, just go back and stick your head in Emily, David and Emily. Just stick your head in and just watch Emily. She's got the biggest smile you've ever seen. And it makes me want to go find a baby and put it in there. Because she's so, you know, and I th I'm thinking she's flowing in her gift. And there's nothing like seeing a person in the church that is kind of, you can, and you, you're thinking, man, they're finding their gift. That's so good. And, and it brings fulfillment in your life, right? So that's so cool. It's good preaching. Uh, but it's, it, so young people carry the vision. In this church, we have a lot of young leaders. But it's important for young people also to honor and respect the older people that have gone before them. Let me give you some scriptures for this. Exodus 20, verse 12 is the principle for all honor. And it's honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So if you want to live your life out, Honor your mom and dad, right? right? That's the beginning of honor. And this is, you know, this is, of course, you always do that, but this is like the basic scripture for we're supposed to walk in honor. Uh, and we're supposed to walk uh, to honor the older people who have preceded us. Uh, uh, say something about that? Yeah, go ahead. I was doing a study once because I've, I've talked to people about honoring their mother and their father, and they'd say, well... You didn't know my mother and my father. They were horrible, you know. And as I began to study the commentary on that, this is what the Lord was saying. Honor that office. Honor that they brought you into the earth. And you got a chance to live and further the kingdom, no matter what they did. Uh, it was that vehicle that God used to bring his family into the church. So you can honor God for that office and for the way that operates. And, uh, you know, uh, I think a lot of times when we're thinking about honor, uh, you've got to realize, too, this, this is not just honoring any old uh, mean person either. Honor is also uh, earned by your behavior, you know, living godly, doing what's right. Uh, people will honor you for, for your lifetime. And when you see people, especially in our church, we've got some of the most wonderful older people in our church uh, that I just love to to get to know them because I can honor them. You know, the Tedros, I don't know if, if a bunch of you know these people. They're wonderful people. We went out with them one day, and I heard their story, and it's the most beautiful, amazing story of how when they were young, they almost got a divorce, but they decided not to. And some of you know her husband's in a wheelchair, and yet they went to be missionaries and used their life together. And, and, and I think that's the people we're going to Mexico. It's their church that we're, we're able to go be a part of. And I just thought there's stories in, in the older people, too, that you need to get to know some of them and honor them. And then we need to get to know the young people and know their stories. And it's, once again, we want to go back to being a family. 
being a family and honoring each other and honoring our older people. Uh, yeah, look in Leviticus 19.32. We honor, also we honor elders. Uh, and this says this, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man and fear your God. I am the Lord. Now, I'm not asking everybody to rise when I enter the room. Don't, I'm not, besides my hair is not quite gray yet. I, I color it, so I'm fighting it. Uh, but I think that that's a great principle. I, I, there's a movie I love called To Kill a Mockingbird. Seen that movie? Should, should watch it. We watched it a month or so ago. And there's a Atticus Finch is the the main character, uh, Gregory Peck, and he's a he's a great father. He's a single father with his kids. His story's a great story. But he's a he's an attorney, and he's fighting for a, a black man in the South in the fifties who's been. Uh, totally dissed and I won't give give yeah mistreated. I won't give away the movie, racial stuff. But uh, but Atticus uh, or the black people were up in the top of the courtroom because that's what they did back in those days. And uh, his kids are. Up this is crazy. This makes me emotional. But his kids are up there with the black people. Atticus Finch's kids, and he lost the case. But he's walking out of the court. A man rises up and he tells Atticus's kids, yeah, he was one of the, he was a pastor, that's right. He was a black pastor. He, he told his kids, he said, you stand. There's a man of God. No, he didn't say man of God. He said, your father has entered the room. And I just, I stand up and hit somebody. Uh, but that's honor, right? First uh, Timothy 5, 1 says this, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father and younger men as brothers. So, we there needs to be some respect from the young people for the older, right? I, it's funny because I went to Subway last night and I got a sandwich, and there were some older people in front of me. They were really pretty, eighty-five or so, and the lady that was taking the order, uh, I'm standing there next in line, was just so she's been so short with these people. And she was uh, foreign and had an accent, so it was really kind of hard to understand her. And uh, and then the older people, because she couldn't understand, they were getting frustrated, and she'd turn her back, and these people would talk about her and say, this girl's not listening to me, and just really loud. And, whole, and I thought, these, all these people need to come to our class tomorrow night. It would help them all. But, uh, yeah, we need, we need to honor the older people, right? But let's talk about old men for a while, and also women. And they are to dream dreams. Your old men will dream dreams, right? And here's the thing about dreams. Your dreams never die. If you have a dream and God's given you a dream, it's that dream to, to carry you all your life. And uh, dreams are not done until you die. And here's the thing about a real, real dream from God. It's to go on even after you're dead if you did it right. Your lifetime is to count not that you're famous and everybody lauds your name, but what you, what you planted, the most important thing you do, I believe with all my heart, is plant something in your kids that they put in their kids. And, and you know, here's the cool thing about that that I see now. We worked hard to raise our kids for God, and we made, I look back and we didn't know what we were doing a lot of the time. We made so many dumb mistakes uh, I wish I would have done, I look back and I see things I wish I would have done differently, but now I watch my kids and like they're raising their kids and they're doing it better. Mm -hmm. Both of my kids are raising their kids. They raise their kids better than we did. And then their kids, we've got a granddaughter now that's pregnant with her second 
great-granddaughter, and she's putting Jesus. We got a video the other day in this little, she's, a, what, she's 18, 7, 15, 16 months. She's saying, Jesus, Jesus. She's learned to say Jesus. They're putting it in, in her. Isn't that awesome? We're going to leave Jesus. We want to leave Jesus in our kids, right? But the, the, I, I, as I studied this word, this dream out, I, I, I got something here. The word dream in the Greek means to recover. Hmm. Now think about it. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit was all about, you know, what happened that day was the, remember the wind of God blew through? Now remember Adam in the garden? How God took that dirt and formed it, and it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So God, God's life, God's breath came into Adam. Now God said the day that you eat of this tree is the day you'll surely die. Well, he didn't die in the physical. So he's still breathing natural. But you know what he lost? He lost the breath of the life of God. The Holy Spirit. That's what he lost. And it's gone. And he can't, he can't do anything good enough to get him back. That's why the only way, God, the only way God could do that, if there would have been another way, I believe he would have done it because this was hard for God. Nothing's hard for God, but can you imagine? He sent his only son. He sent God, right, to, to, recover, to recover the breath, the dream or the breath. Isn't that good? The dream came back with the breath of God that was breathed, breathe the power of God that was breathed that day. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit was all about man recovering the relationship with God that he had lost. So men, old men are to dream dreams. And you know, part of that, as you get older, just because you get older doesn't mean you've learned it all. I, I'm, I'm still learning. You need to have a heart to still learn. But you, and so you continue to recover. Where you've missed it in the past, you're still recovering. You're still dreaming, right? So when you get older, it's not time to quit. Let me give you some scripture. Uh, Psalm 71, 17. This is a scripture that I say every time. See this bracelet? I put, the, put this bracelet on. And this bracelet is to remind me of this scripture for where I am in life. And here's what it says. You have taught me since I was young, O oh God, and I still proclaim the wonderful things you have done. Now, as I grow old and my hair turns gray, I ask that you not abandon me, O oh God. Allow me to share with the generation to come about your power. Let me speak about your strength and wonders to all those yet to be born. Wow. So I'm still doing this, right? You never stop doing this till you leave. In whatever shape you're in, you still, we're carrying out, we have that breath and we're carrying out the dream of God. And uh, listen, just because you get old doesn't mean you're done too. I love this stat. It's from uh, October 28, 2021 report in the New England Journal of Medicine. And listen to this. This is not Christian. This is just New England Journal of Medicine. It says the most productive age of life in most people are from the ages of 60 to 70. Wow. The second most productive, ages 70 to 80. Third, ages 50 to 60. You know, I'm not sure how to balance all that out because I know we're slowing down some. But yet, if, yeah, I like that. And you think about our, <laughs> you think about our presidents. I mean, they're always pretty old. The guy we got now, is, is he awake? I don't know. Anyway, so... <laughs> Not going to get political. Psalm 103, verse 5 says this about 
as we get older. He satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You need to believe God for this as you get older. God wants to renew your youth like the eagles. Now think about eagles. Eagles molt, which means they lose their feathers, but they grow a new pillage of feathers. Isaiah said that uh, we'll wait upon the Lord. We'll mount up with wings like eagles. So we're not done flying. Right, baby? Nope, nope we're not done flying. Uh, so God has blessing for you in every chapter of life. But here's another thing about the eagles. They, that, that beak that they have, as they get older, they have to beat that beak off. And if they do, they grow a new beak. But you got to beat your beak off. And it's painful to beat your beak off. I've never done it, but... I believe it's painful. There's got to be some pain involved. And here's what I think that means. I think that means you have to transition. And it's not always easy to know what that looks like. You know, I'm looking at people that are my friends now, that are my age. And, some, and I look at other churches. And, you know, Pastor Josh and I sat down one day and he said, Dad, we want to do something to bring in the older generation. We said, what do we do? And we said, well, we're not really, there's not really a great pattern or model out there. And, so we said, well, let's just, let's, let's begin and let's, let's have a heart to do this because we believe just as important as our kids ministry, which is rocking and rolling right now, is our, any, every, all the older people coming in and ha finding a place and being happy, right? You believe that? Amen. You're looking at me funny, but I know you believe it, but that, that means you have to transition. Yes. You know, uh, when, when we came here, I'll just, I'm, can I be honest with you? Uh, it was different because we were on the road and traveling to churches, and we were traveling a lot. For 20 years, we traveled like three out of four weekends a month, sometimes eight weeks in a row we traveled. And, and we went to other countries. And so, you know, I, that's, we're running things. It's our deal. Now, we go into churches, and we submitted to these pastors. Of course, that's what you do when you travel if you do it right. So we're under submission, and, and yet we, we were doing our thing. So now, to, now we're going to come in, and it's kind of like we're going to have to work for somebody again. And there's some transition in your thinking involved. And then also, what exactly are we going to do? Because, you know, when you're an evangelist, here's what they say. Evangelists blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's what you do when you travel. You know, you go in, do your thing, and then you're gone. But now we're going to be in a church, and it's a different kind of responsibility. You, why are you looking at me like that? You want to transition? I mean, you want to talk about this? No? Okay. Okay, I need, to bail, need you to bail me out. Anyway, see, I'm not the boss anymore, but, but here's the thing. It's not all about me. It's not all about me. Uh, what I look at going on, that's going on in this church right now, and I, and I look around all the time because that's what I do. You know, I'm always assessing things. But I got to tell you, I, and I've been involved in some pretty cool churches, but I love what this generation is doing around here and the way they think and the, their technical knowledge and the way they, you know, the, they're honestly, they're doing church better than we did church. They're do, they've learned things we didn't learn. And I want to learn what they've learned. Probably not all the technical stuff because older people don't do that quite as well. I need the younger people to help me with the technical stuff. That's one reason I got to be nice to them. I need them to help me. But you know, it's painful to change. Uh, but we got to do it. Our dream is fulfilled as we hand off to the young people who have the vision. I'm going to say that again. Write that down. Your dream will be fulfilled as you begin to hand off 
to the young people who have the vision. Remember Pastor Josh has preached this. That we're in a race, right? And it's, it's a relay race. It's a long race. It's an, it's an endurance race. Going up hills and going into valleys and there's ups and downs and there's challenges when you're running, right? But then there comes a day that you're going to finally hand that baton off. But think about how a handoff even works. The, the runners in the race, the runner behind has the baton, but when he's handing it off, they, you want to keep running fast in order to do the handoff properly so you don't lose, lose the race. But also they run together for a while until it's time for this guy to let go. And then when you let go, they put you in the casket. Oh, no, I'm not, no. But, but it's important that we understand we hand off. We, our dream is fulfilled as we hand off to the young people who have the vision. If we don't, things can die. And I see this. All that traveling we did, I learned a couple of things, right? There are some churches that don't see the importance of what we're talking about tonight, and they die. Churches die. Good churches. I was in a church one time. If I told you what it was, you'd probably know it. And this is a big church, a lot of people in it, 2,000 people in the auditorium that morning as I'm getting ready to preach. And I always do this because I have a heart for kids' ministry especially. I walk through the church and I look in the kids' classroom and get a gauge on how many kids they have, what are they doing in kids' ministry, because that tells me a lot about the church. That tells me if they're going to last. So I'm walking around and I go to the nursery of this church, 2,000 people, Church going strong. There was one baby in the nursery. They had one service, one baby in the nursery. And I'm not being condemning, but I walked away and I said, this church is going to die. My friend Willie George says this, a church has a lifespan or a shelf life of about 30 years, and if they don't reach the kids, they die. And that's just the, what's going to happen because it's not all about just us. Right? We're going to leave. So if we want our dream to live on, we got to reach into the next generation. And here's another statement about this. It is the older generation's responsibility to build a bridge to the next generation first. It's the older people's. It's not the younger people's responsibility to come to us and invite us in. Listen to me. It's our responsibility as older people to go to the uh, younger people and connect with them. Are you sure, Pastor Kent? Let me read you a scripture. Malachi 4. Important scripture. It's the last, these are the last, this is the last book in the Old Testament. This is the last uh, chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. This is the last two verses of the last chapter of the last book in the Old Testament. So these are God's last words in the Old Testament. And there's going to be 400 years of silence until God talks again. And that's when Jesus came on the scene. So before Jesus, this is what he said. So this tells me, I believe God wanted us to remember these words. And this is prophetic of John the Baptist, who was the forerunner for Jesus, right? And Jesus talked about John, and he said John had to come first. So, for, so there's a reason John had to come and announced something's changing, something's coming. Everything's about to change, and, and, and you need to get ready, and you need to repent, and you need to get ready because God's about to do something brand new, right? So that was John the Baptist. Now, that's Jesus' first coming. He's coming back, right? So could it be that what we're about to read could be something that we need to zero in on before his second coming? 
Let's read it, and, and I'll point this out to you. God says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, it wasn't Elijah, but it was the spirit. John came in the spirit of Elijah with boldness and declaring. And, you know, he was bold. He was different. He lived out in the wilderness. He ate grasshoppers. He was a bad dude, right? It said, Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. It's a great, I'm reading from the King James. But it says, The great and dreadful. What does that mean? I believe that's talking about his two comings. I believe the first time Jesus came was great. Are you kidding me? The grace of God came to redeem us when we didn't deserve it, to reach into our lives. The grace of God comes, the, the charis of God to change us, to, to give us a brand new heart. Oh my goodness, we're going to heaven. I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. I was brought into this thing. Uh, I'm going to heaven. I have a new heart. My life was rocked 50 years ago. This is my anniversary year. Isn't that awesome? God did that for us through Jesus Christ. So that was great. But the next time he comes back, it's going to be dreadful. The great and dreadful. What does that mean, Pastor Ken? When he comes back, he won't come back with grace. He's going to come back on a white horse with a sword, with eyes on fire. He's going to come to make war. Jesus is going to take over, and it's going to be his way or the highway. It's going to be dreadful to people that don't know him. Right, you with me? And what, so what is this? This is John the Baptist. What is he, what is he saying? What's he going to do? It says, he will, the spirit of John, the, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. Wow. Is that generational connection? Yes. I think so. The hearts of the fathers to the children, and then look at the next thing. And the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. This curse right now, this curse that's on the earth is rising up big right now. Well, we see it all around us, this darkness invading. But uh, Jesus, or, or, or the scripture says, what's part of the answer? The hearts of the, the hearts of the fathers turn into the children. And then when we do that, the hearts of the children will turn to us. This is talking about a generational connection. But look at this, it begins with older people. It begins with fathers, mm -hmm. with with. I think with men having a heart for young people, not just the women. And thank God for the women. Thank God for Trudy who prayed me into the kingdom. I wouldn't even be standing here tonight. So we, women, yes, we need the women in their leadership, but yet the men, we are the, we're the men of the, of the body of Christ. We need to rise up, and we need to turn our hearts to the young people. You know, I, I, made, I make a conscious decision to do that. I'm, I'm, I'm learning, Right. And in this church, I, I want to do that all the time. And I'm going to tell you the, the fruit of that as we've done that. And we connect with the young leaders of the church. And we, we've worked to do that. We haven't been perfect at it. We're learning, okay? But, but you know what's happening? Those young people like us. Amen. And they like to be around us. And they honor us. And to the point of I'm embarrassed sometimes they're so nice to me. But I love them. And because of that, I think they love us. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that, I think that's one of the sweetest things that, that we've experienced here is, is we've reached out to them and not even, you know, we, we don't even want to teach them anything. We just want to love on them. You know, we'll take them out to eat and they love that because a lot of them don't have a lot of money and they like to get to go out to eat. So we take them out and feed them and we listen. Ask them how they're doing. Talk to them about their children. Talk to them about their marriage. Laugh with them. You know, we've just created a family with them. 
because they know that we love them. And see, that's what, that's what we're wanting to create here in this cross generation. We want to love each other in this church. And God will show us how to do it. I, I don't know where you're wanting to go now, but... So, as older people and, and men, we need to take the responsibility to turn our hearts. Let me read a statement I wrote down. The Gen X and millennials have all the information at their fingertips. What they don't have is a sense of identity, purpose, and belonging, and connection to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Where did you get that quote? You remember? It's a good one, though. They do. They know. They they know it all. You know. I watch these young people text, and they they're going. I can't text with my thumbs. I have to go. And they know all this stuff, and so, so much is available out there. And you know, there's this deal coming called, and it's going to get stronger called virtual things. Like, you know, they've got some virtual games now, but it's getting stronger. What did we see the other day about a virtual? Uh, Oh, I can't remember. It was, it was it was a weird virtual thing to do, <laughs> and and also on the on the on the other side of that is that they're having, they're going to start having virtual sex. That's going to grow virtual pornography. Uh, so they, there's all this information, dark. Some of it's very dark, but but so many of these young people now, so many of the people we talk to in our church that we meet with that are dealing with things, they didn't have fathers. And, and a lot of them didn't have mothers. I mean, this is so common in our time. So, so common. So, uh, and they come from bro broken homes. They don't even know what a father looks like. But as, as men, we can rise up and do that and step out of our comfort zone to do some of these things. And, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is very important to do. When we go out with these young people, Trudy mentioned some of it. We ask them questions. At one of the, and we're humble, too. And we shut up and we listen to them. We want to engage them, but we allow them room to connect with us. Uh, and, and we try to love on them, don't we? You know, here's a statement you've probably heard before, but it still carries a lot of weight. People don't want to know how much you know until they know how much you care. So you got to care. Uh, and uh, if we're critical, we're going to cut off the influence that we have for them. The Hebrew nef definition for the word grandfather is two Hebrew letters, grandfather. Uh, and here's what it means. They are the words shamach and the word bet. And shamach means the prop or the support. And the word bet means the house or the family. So the grandfather is designed to be the support of the family or somebody that can be leaned back on. You know, as grandparents... We're grandparents, we're great-grandparents. We don't, we understand, we don't have the right, and if you don't know this, you ought to write it down, but you don't have the right to go in your children's houses and boss them around and say, well, that's not the way we fix potato salad, <laughs> you know? I, I got in trouble, we were just married, and I, potato salad marked me because Trudy made potato salad one day, and I took a bite of it, and I said, this is not the way my mama made potato salad. And I learned real quick not to say that because she said, I don't care what your mama did. You're not with your mama now. And I said, yes, ma'am. And I've straight, been straight ever since, right? I learned how to make potato salad like your mother. It's <laughs> really good. But you didn't do that because I criticized. Because no, you didn't like that. No. 
but uh, we're back to grandparents. Uh, <laughs> you don't have the right to do that, but you're a prop. If you're worthy yeah. and, you, and you build the right relationship, they'll, they'll come back and lean on you. And they'll ask you questions and say, you know, we got this deal, and what do we do, and what did you do, and uh, so that. But that's the way it's designed to work. See, the Bible says when you uh, when you get married, you, the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And I remember there was a guy that a few years ago that I was talking with, and he had, had a, he had a situation where his mother-in-law, unbeknownst to him and his him and his wife had moved three houses down from him in the neighborhood and surprised them one day. Just moved in and didn't want to tell them, just, hey, I'm here. I'm your And his mother-in-law, the thing was, little background, is his wife was a real sweet lady, and they had like four or five kids, right? And she, her mother had been like, uh, had really had some mental trouble and had done some crazy things growing up. And so she would thought, well, when I get married, maybe I'll be able to, his mother can become my mother. But his mother was just like, uh, just wanted to run everything. And when she moved in, she's barging in the house without knocking and coming in and telling him how to do things and just hurt his wife's feelings. It was a real gentle girl. So this guy's talking to me and he's telling me this whole story in a lot of detail. I mean, it went on for, I sat there for 45 minutes. He said, I think what, I think she just, my wife needs to understand, my mom just wants to help, and she doesn't mean this, and la, da, 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 da. And I said, okay, let me read you a scripture. And I went over the book of Genesis. And I said, uh, and I read Genesis 2. It said, uh, Adam said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And I, I read that to him. And then I sat there and looked at him. He said, yeah, but you don't understand. My mom, she doesn't mean it. And, da, 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 and he went on for 15 more minutes and talked. And I said, huh. I said, okay, listen to this. Uh, th let me read this to you. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And so I read it again, and he just kind of looks at me. And, and he said, oh, you're saying that I need to go talk to my mom and make a stand for my wife. And I went, and he got it. <laughs> and the story goes that he went and did that. He made his mom mad. And she wouldn't speak to him. And finally, I think a couple of months later, she sold the house and moved. And, but he, I saw him later and he said, that's okay, Pastor Ken. I, I'm so happy. My wife is happy because he stood up for his wife. See? Because you shouldn't do that. Right? Okay, y'all are quiet. But I believe it. Okay. So uh, you're called to be a prop or a support as a, as a grandparent. Support the young people as they navigate life. When we turn our heart and support the younger generation, they will turn and receive us. It's all about being humble and having, once again, a servant attitude. Uh, it's, it's not all about you. It's about being a servant. And I hear people sometimes say some things about older people have said things like this. I miss the old days of the church. It was so good. And the music is so different now. And it's so loud and, and young people don't like me. And, and I don't feel welcome. And let me just say, you can feel all those things as you get older because you're transitioning. And you can kind of go, uh. And you look in the mirror and you go, huh, I'm not quite as good looking as I was a few weeks ago. And these things begin to affect you. But here's the thing. We have to be the adults as the older people. We have to be responsible. We have to take the first step toward them. That's the way it's supposed to work. But the promise is if you'll turn your hearts to the young people, they'll turn their hearts to you. So what am I saying? Let me give you some practical things here. You need to purposely love on the younger people in the church if you're older. 
Go up to them. Talk to them. Hey, what's your name? You know, one of the things I do in church every weekend is I'm here and I'm meandering around. And I'm, I wanna, I, I, I'm, when I'm driving here, I'm saying, Lord, help me to be a blessing to people today. Help me to be an encouragement. Help me to say things that will be a blessing to people. And I go around and meet people. And uh, we have so many new people. Uh, it's hard to remember all their names now. I think especially as you get older, your memory may not be quite as sharp as it is. But we want to be a blessing to them. Uh, and don't wait for them to reach out to you. Uh, let them know that you care about them and engage them and encourage them. And Trudy mentioned it. Maybe you even want to go a step further and invite them out to eat. Once again, most of the time they'll go. <laughs> uh, just walk around the church and be loving and encouraging. And as you get to know people, uh, ask if you can pray for them about something. That's always a, a bridge to, to, to get into people's lives. Hey, man, uh, how's things going? Yeah, right. And they'll usually tell you, uh, wow, can I pray with you about anything? Because sometimes some, out of their conversation will come something that you can connect in prayer with them, right? Yeah. One of the things that uh, I've been, as I've been praying over this, I want to encourage us to do is as we engage each other, as we become more of a family, be led by the Spirit in, in who you get to know. These young couples, especially with little children. And as you get to know them, find out their names. And then uh, pray for them. Just, just be led by the Spirit and pray for that family. And you might want to tell them, you know, for the next six months, I'm just going to pray for you and your kids. And do it. Doesn't really do it. No, it doesn't have to be that long. But, you know, or say, I'm going to pray for your children through the school year this year. And, and I would admonish you to, like, like Pastor Ken said, come back here and look in these rooms and just look in the faces of these kids. You know, the other day when uh, that thing happened in Uvalde, uh, and I heard the news of all those children that had been killed, it, it, it broke my heart, and I was praying for them. But the next day, someone posted some pictures of the, the families and the people and, the, and their faces and the hurt that was there. And when I saw their faces, that really sealed it for me. I could see, I could see them. And see, that's, that's what I want you to do. Be sensitive to the Spirit as you're, as you're engaging people in the church and you don't even have to talk to them about it if you don't want to. But just in your heart, say, I want to pray for that family. Or come back and see one of the children. And I went and met a couple of the young girls and students the other day. I just walked up and I just thought, I, wanna, I just want to meet some of these little girls. And I saw one little girl in particular, and I was drawn to her, and I found out her name. And I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend some time praying for that little girl. And the more you do that, though, the more you begin to feel bonded with those people, too. And so, and also, it doesn't have to always be prayer. You know, there's a little girl in the church, and uh, she didn't have a dad. And we are always going to our, our little grandkids' ball games, and, and uh, she's a friend of Sonny's. I don't know if y'all know my little granddaughter, Sonny, but it's a friend of Sonny's. And uh, we're always at her little ball games, and this little girl said to her mom, she said, I wish I had grandparents that would come to my ball games. And so her mom told me about it, and I just went over to her later, and I just put my arms around her, and I said, you know what, you can be my granddaughter, too. We're here for you, too. And that little girl just lit up. You know, it's so simple. It's all so simple. It's really not that hard. 
to do to do these things. It's just something that comes out of your heart. And it can be so small. And I think one of the biggest things that we face is, uh, is that we think, well, what can I do that matters, you know? And I, and I want to I wanna end, or if you're ready to end it, but I want to end it with, with this little story that I've got, just to show you what a seed of kindness or just a seed of doing anything you know to do can do. Um, we're going to go back to Egypt, <laughs> where the Pharaoh was. And there's a story, and it says, and the king of Egypt, this is in Exodus 1, uh, uh, Exodus 2, 1, I think, yeah. And, uh, or 15, I'm sorry. It says, And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, and one of the names of the midwives was Shipra, and the other one was Puah. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, they feared God, that he made them houses. And they, they preserved them, the babies, right? But what happened was, the Pharaoh had told them, the Hebrew midwives, he said, now, when the little... Hebrew boys are born, kill them. But it said no, they said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to fear God. Now, this is what's interesting. It said he made them houses. Now, that word houses, as I studied it out in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean he bought them a house. You know, God got them a house. The word house there means a dynasty. He made them dynasties. Now, the word, the name Shipra. And the word puah, as I study the Hebrew, those two names were Egyptian names given to these midwives. But their real names in Hebrew were Jochebed and Miriam. That was Moses' mother and daughter. And it said, he will make, I will make you houses or dynasties. So Jochebed was Moses' mother and Miriam. That was the line of the priests. That was a dynasty of priests. Miriam's line married in to David's line, which was the, the, the king's line. Those were two dynasties. And what does it say in the New Testament? He has made us kings and priests to rule. So because they feared God, uh, God said, I'm going to bless you and I'll give you a royal line and a priestly line for what you did. And it was a tiny little seed. I mean, they just said, no, I'm going to fear God. And then you go in the next chapter, and it begins to talk about how uh, Jochebed got pregnant and Moses was on the way. And I thought, see, because she feared God, then God gave her Moses. Because she feared God. So God wants to give us a, a dynasty. And, and a dynasty just means a succession of hereditary rulers, a family, that reign a house, a line, a prominent and powerful family, and uh, and so I'm going to read. I'm going to tell you a story here that's really a cool story. Uh, it's kind of a biography I want to read you, and it's a it's a cool story. And one of the things that it'll help you do is get your focus off of you. What can you do? What little seed can you do? So there was this woman. And uh, her name was Lucy Christina Robinson. And she was born November the 17th, 1893. And she was the daughter of Ruth and Samuel Robinson. And he was a circuit preacher. Now, she was a beautiful girl. And uh, she had black wavy hair, big blue eyes. And this just gets me. An 18-inch waist without a corset. Wow. I can't even imagine how they did that. What? No. 
But anyway, she married a man named Oscar Reamer, who was a cowboy when she was 18 on March the 12th, 1912. And the interesting thing about her is they said that, uh, and, and you've got to remember where people were back then. It's not like today. She got married, and she never saw her family again. She moved away. Because, you know, they didn't have technology. They didn't have phones. They didn't have anything. Um, her husband had come from Germany to America and landed at Ellis Island in 1884 when he was four years old, and he could not read. He was, a, he was an immigrant, a German immigrant. They migrated south after they got married. This is so funny to me. They migrated south to a little town in Texas called Dallas. And later they came up I-35 to the Oklahoma Territory. I know, but that's what they did. And uh, she was just a little woman that had had a, a mom and dad that loved God that put Jesus in her. She wanted to put Jesus in her family. Her husband couldn't read. And so all she needed, this just kids me. One of her favorite things to do at night was to sit around the fire for uh, the fire with her family and read the Bible to the family while he churned butter to help pay for their life. That's all she knew to do. There was no churches. There was nothing there. But what God, what her parents had put in her, the love for God. But her husband, she got him saved, but he couldn't read, and he loved her to read the Bible. So she read the Bible to her husband and to her children. They lived a hard life. They had ten children and lost five children. Times were hard. Uh, they had a daughter named Catherine. And they finally moved to town and started to go to a little church that somebody had started. They had to walk or go in a wagon. It just gets me. It's so hard for people to come to church in an air-conditioned car. I can't imagine, you know, you're getting up your little children and you have to put that iron in the fire and press their little clothes and hitch the horses and take your children to church. But she did all she knew. She did all she knew. And uh, as the story goes, <laughs> Catherine, her daughter, grew up and she met a man named Bo. And he was a, a worship leader at a church. She came in one night, and he saw her sitting at the back of the church and fell in love with her. <laughs> he wasn't paying attention to what he was doing, was he? <laughs> they married. They had six children that they raised to love Jesus. The last baby they had was an unexpected surprise. It was a little girl. They raised her to love Jesus, too. She got married and also raised a family who loved Jesus. And she's been around the world preaching the gospel, getting to do things her grandma would never have gotten to do, all because she just read the Bible by the fire, that one little thing. And then her and her husband preached the gospel together around the world. And then they had children. And then they had a son who came to Oklahoma City and started a church called New Song Church. And we're all here today because of one little lady that couldn't do anything but read the word to her family by the fire. See, we think what we do is so small. It's, we think it's so small. It's just a little seed. You don't know the love that you give to a young couple 
and their children, what that might do to them. They might be the next evangelist. They might be. Of course they are. Our children are kingdom children. That's why these families need love and care and family so that we can make sure that we accomplish what we're supposed to do in this city. And I've often wondered if my grandma, when they came up, I-35, which wasn't there, and came to this part of the country, if where she lived and where she prayed might have been right in this area because they lived in a dugout. So we know there were tornadoes. So you just see, though, you can see beyond who we are, beyond the grave, beyond that legacy and dynasty can be built. And we, don't, we won't know everything till this the other side. But what matters is what we do now in building the kingdom of God. So as a church and as a family, we want to love each other. We want to cross, be cross-generational. We want to get to know each other, love each other's children, love the grandmas and the grandpas in this church, and make a dent in doing something that's not even being done in the church. But we're going to do it in New Song Church with the bunch of people we've got. In Jesus' name. Wow. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.